G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Well, show 149, here we are. We've been doing a few things during the week with live shows and things like that. Last Wednesday night, we had a show uh, where we had some guests on, the Interstater and Nick from the Transport Workers Union. A few other people rang in. It was very, very interesting. I've had a lot of feedback from that show. I've also had some people say to me, well, gee, Mick, where have you been on this uh, stuff? You haven't had a lot to say. Well, I actually have had a fair bit to say about it. So I've dug back into uh, the archives and I've pulled out the thing that I said in show 102. Now, substantially, this is what was quoted by Senator Glenn Stirl in the Senate, in the Australian Senate. I was very honoured to have my words read into Hansard. So I've been about on this wage theft K-rate thing for quite some time. People have said, where are you on it, Mick? Well, I'll replay it. This is from show number 102 when I get to that. Now, there's been a few other comments made. Obviously, Bob and his something to talk about, which you'll hear later on, has had a little bit to say about the show on Wednesday night and where he stands on a few things. And look, I substantially agree with Bob where he stands on things. We're of the same mind. What I've done here, and you'll hear it at the end of the bit that I've taken out of show 102 I invite you to contribute to the show I invite you to have your say I invite you to send me an email send me a text message give me a call if you want to come on come on if you just got something to say but you don't want to say it yourself put it in writing and I'll say it Craig Forsyth Yogi Kendall and I have put together a platform for people to speak on We've put together this podcast, we've put together this radio station and now we're putting together Truck and Life magazine which is very, very soon to be released on an unsuspecting trucking industry. And we're very, very proud of what we've done. But the whole thing is about education. It's about taking some steps forward. Might sound a little bit corny but it's even about leaving a bit of a legacy. We've been around We've seen what happens. We can see what's happening. We are trying to educate people into what's happening. Now, whether we change anything or not, I don't know. But you don't change anything by sitting down quietly and not doing or saying anything. If you've got something to say, then by all means, use the platforms that are available to you to say it. The more we talk about it, talk about anything, the more we talk about any subject the better off we're going to be. The more ideas that are put out there, the better off we're going to be. Sooner or later, some of it will stick. Sooner or later, something will change. I'm well on the record with my positions. I'm fairly consistent about what I say, and we do have a voice and we are being heard. But the more of us that are standing up, the more of us that are saying things, the more we're being heard. You need to join your associations. You need to stand up and be counted. Anyway, we'll just hook into this bit here from show 102. Then we'll have the news. We'll do something to talk about. And as I say, if you've got anything to say, send me an email, send me a text. 0418 There's no secret about how to get hold of me, even if you want to ring me up and tell me I'm wrong. Okay? No worries at all. I've got broad shoulders. Let's get into it. We're at the point now where driver recruitment is becoming a real issue. People don't want to go out and drive trucks anymore. They don't want to do long distance work. They don't want to get out there and and do it. And we've got to ask ourselves why that's the case. Now, I think I know the answer to that. I think the answer comes down to pay and conditions. Now, I've said, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. The kilometre rate, in my opinion, is simply wage theft. I don't care how you spin it. If you're not being paid for the work that you do, then somehow or another, someone's making a profit out of it. It's not you. It's not fair. It's not right. All the work that we do is measured in hours in our logbook. We all know that to be true. How the hell can anyone get away with paying you from GPO to GPO when you might be running from Eastern Creek to Bloody Dandenong? 
It's not right and it's not fair. How then can they expect you to load and unload, wash your truck, fuel your truck, do all those things that are around your truck, sit for hours on end waiting in distribution centres because it suits whatever big box carter that you need to sit there, And then even more to the point now, guys are going to sit in warehouses with fridge trailers running, with diesel being burnt at the price of diesel at the moment. How can anyone justify that? How can anyone think that that is even remotely fair, remotely sensible? It's not. In no world is it sensible. And the only people that are making any money out of this are the fuel companies, the mechanics. You'd like to think the boss is making some money out of it. But the drivers, the guys that are on the front end that are actually doing the work, we are getting five-eighths of absolutely bugger all of a share of what's going on. We need to be paid by the hour with penalty rates, with overtime rates, with RDOs, with pays for Saturday and Sunday and public holidays. Now, some of us enjoy those things, and I'm one of them, I admit it, but it's not that common. There are a lot of guys out there that are running on the K-rate, And then, of course, if we look at the situation where we get guys who are getting into these bigger combinations now, and they're being paid cents on the dollar to drive a much bigger truck with much more freight, going into depots, they're expected, some of them, to help out. They're expected to help unload and reload these bloody things. And they're not getting that much more for it. And they're suffering the added penalty of having to drive the thing slower. You know, a lot of them are speed limited to doing 90 on the East Coast. You can't do more than 90 in some of these PBS vehicles. These pocket road trains that they call A-doubles that we run over here on the East Coast now, 90 kilometres an hour. I mean, put a 53-foot trailer on and you're only doing 90 kilometres an hour. It's just not right, not fair. It's the drivers that are actually doing the work that are out there, away from home, their families are sacrificing, We're the ones getting the logbook fines. We're the ones getting the stupid little clerical error fines. We're the ones that are actually out here on the coalface doing the job. And the people that are making all this happen, they jump into their car, go home, and they've got toilets and all that. Look at the crap that we've had to put up with at Gatton, a place that really should have toilets and a shower and and all that sort of thing. And they don't even bother to put it there. $18 million they spent on that facility. And what do we got there now? A couple of bloody plastic portaloos. Now, it's a big step forward to nothing, but it is in no way good enough. Look at the rest areas that we've got. There are some really, really good ones out there, and some of us enjoy them and use them. But the vast majority of places where you stop in this country, no toilets. There might be a rubbish bin. There might be a bloody cement table with a half ass sort of awning over the top of it. You've got blokes driving small cab over prime movers with no room. You can't put anything in them. No one seems to get a custom interior in this country. I don't understand why not. It doesn't make any sense to me. And we wonder why we can't recruit drivers. Well, we're not paying them enough. That's the first thing. The conditions are terrible. People say to me, oh, well, don't be a truck driver then. We're not holding a gun to your head. Well, no, you're not. I personally love what I do. I drive, I get out there, I have a concert in the cab, I enjoy myself, I do my job, I'm lucky, I've got a great job, work for a great company, and everything's, for me, quite happy. But there are some guys out there that don't enjoy what I enjoy, and my goal in life has always been to, in some way or another, make other guys' lives more comfortable. And I want to point out, if you look at the social media, every man and his dog is after drivers. Now, I'm wondering if they factored in the cost of all this recruiting in their turnover. Why are they having drivers walk away? Drivers walk away from management. They don't walk away from truck driving. They give up their job because something is happening in that job that they can't live with, and for some reason, they can't talk about it. Now, that's on management, in my opinion. If your drivers can't come to you and have a chat about what's going on in their job, you haven't told them that they can come. And managers, that's on you. Drivers leave managers. They don't leave trucking. What they do is they take their very transportable skills, their very portable skills, and give them to someone else, whether it's for more money, better trucks, better conditions, a better lifestyle, more home time, whatever it is. Businesses need to learn that the asset that they have, which is most important to them, is the good drivers they have. I'm sure there are some companies who would say, you know, I don't care if Billy leaves. He's a pain in the ass. He's been a pain in the ass the whole time he's been here. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, Billy. And I'm sure there's a few of those around. And if that's your choice and you want Billy to go, by all means, let him go. 
But I'm also sure there are drivers out there working for companies who the bosses would be heartbroken if they left. And they're out there and they do do it and they do leave. And they go somewhere else. They don't quit trucking. They don't go and start playing marbles or professional golf or working in the shop. They generally take their portable skills and go somewhere else. It's about time people need to realise and understand, the management need to understand, that you're much better off to maybe spend some more money on some trucks with some better facilities in them or make sure that you're getting your drivers home on the weekend or doing whatever it is that you need to keep those good workers working for you, not taking their skills and going somewhere else. This is stuff that we need to talk about. We really, really do need to get a handle on this. Driver recruitment, driver retention, and driver training, for me, are the three biggest issues in transport right now, right up there with rates. If you're not getting paid the right rates, then you can't do any of the other three things. The answer to the question is, and always has been, rates. You've got to be paid properly for what you do. This is something we haven't done very well. We need to sort that out and get on top of it and then sort out the driver retention, driver recruitment, driver training issues. That's where I'm at on all this. These things need to be sorted out. That's something to talk about, something to think about. If you've got anything to say, please feel free to email me, mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Give me a call, 0418722488. Send me a text message. If you want to come on the show and have a chat, more than happy to have you on the show to have a chat about it. Take care out there. Keep it safe. We'll see you on the road. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Here on the road, it's time for the news. Hey, Mike, normally morning, but it's good evening, Mike. It's evening, mate, and it's, I tell you what, it's a little bit brisk out here in the shed too, let me tell you. I, I turned the heater off when I went up inside earlier, so, yeah. I, I put the aircon on in here. It's lovely and toasty. Oh, lovely. Well, I've got mine going too. It'll be just about the right temperature by the time we get finished. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, just before we kick off, I might have to pull the pin on this doing the news with your business. All right, eh? Yeah, well, my wife said to me the other day that every time I record the news with you mm. for the podcast, mm. for the next day or two, I talk like a TV news presenter. Oh, do you? Righto. I told her she was imagining it, but anyway, we'll have more on that story later. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, have we got any news we're not going to talk about? There's lots of news we're not going to talk about. Okay. There's just lots we're not going to talk okay. about. Uh, you've caught me on the hop because I don't actually have the news we're not going to talk about page in front of us. Look, oh. we're not going to talk about the fella in Western Australia that won the uh, Kenworth Legend SAR with his $1,000 bet. Yeah. Peter Wycross, I won't talk about that lucky bastard. $413,000 worth of legend he won uh, and raising money for the Hepburn Football and Netball Club's fundraising raffle. Best uh, grand he's ever spent. Yeah, best. Yeah, there's, there's probably about 10,000 people that aren't happy. Anyway, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. Black Roads funding, $5.9 million. You know, these sort of things are happening all the time. Uh, mm. War Hopes truck shows back. The best one we're not going to talk about is these free Fresnel lenses for heavy vehicles in New South Wales. Most people would have no idea what a Fresnel lens was. I had to look at it to find out. Mm. You know, those little bloody mirror lens things, not mirrors, sorry, the little concave lens things you used to stick on and would give you a little bit of a wider angle and all that sort of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just those. You just stick them on your window. Apparently, it'll help you with the blind spots. There are better ways of doing it than that, I think. Bypasses. Yeah, we're not going to talk about any of that. So if you want to go and find out, have a bit of a look around, get around the socials, go to our old mates at Big Rigs and have a look at their story, um, their stories, or go to Owner Drive and have a look at their stories. Pretty soon you'll be able to have a look at a truck and life and see what we're talking about. Yeah. August the uh, August the 5th, mate. I put mm. a little reel up on Facebook. It's rolling off the printer as we spoke when I was doing it. It's all printed now. Though. It's got to be all put together next week and we'll be mailing them out. Really yeah, good. yeah. No, it looked impressive, mate. It looked impressive. I was impressed. I said I watched it about ten times, hoping I would see another page, but you know, never, mm. never happened. <laughs> Still, a very handsome cover. It was a handsome cover. I love the cover. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's the reason we're not talking about. Good, good. First up for the real news, Mike, following updates on the fuel tax credit scheme and the road user charge, the Australian Trucking Association has stated that they have a strategy that can halve the charges for trucks. They've got a strategy, all right, but whether anyone else is going to take any notice of it is entirely another question, <laughs> right? Yeah. Their, yeah. Uh, their new CEO, Mr Monroe, has joined them and they look a little bit like they're a bit excited about things, old mate Matt's. Been having a bit of a chat. He replaced the CEO, Michael Deegan. Yeah. Matt Monroe has been the executive director of the Australian Livestock and Rural Transport Association, and he was with NatRoad before that. So he's come into the ATA and they've obviously had a few meetings and they've got a bit of a bit of a idea about these high fuel prices and they're saying the charges, uh, the major cost of high food prices in remote communities. Look, there's got to be something to that. Everything that goes into a lot of these remote communities goes in there by truck. There are good cases, I think, for having a look at the uh, road user charges and the fuel excise charges for vehicle servicing specific uh, remote communities. I don't know how you would make that happen, though. Um, mm. You know, I could be saying I'm going to somewhere and buying fuel and, and not, going, not going there, you know. Uh, I suppose yeah. you'd have to have some documented evidence and it'd be it'd be a nightmare to try and uh, work your way through it. I know that you know, when the farmers, I think, uh, I'm not sure whether we did it here in Australia or not, but certainly overseas, they used to put a colouring in the diesel that they sold to farmers because they got a subsidy on that, a red diesel. When they were stopped at roadside checks, they, depending on what they were carrying, the guys would open up the fuel tanks and have a look and see what colour the fuel was and you could get into trouble doing that. But Yeah. There is a case for some of these remote areas to get a little bit of help because, let's face it, some of the prices you pay in some of these places are stupid and uh, everything goes by truck. Trains don't make stops in remote communities. I hate to yeah. break it to you. Yeah. But, uh, so the ATA said something sensible there. I actually agree with the ATA today. Scary, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I got a little bit sidetracked there. Wasn't there a singer called Matt Munro? I think it was. Exactly. I'm just as as we speak. Yeah. And it's not because I'm not paying attention because no. I am, Mike. You know me. Yeah, I, I do. You'd be right onto it. I, I'm googling as we speak. Well, you're multi-talented. You can do that sort of stuff. Known as the Cockney Frank Sinatra. Right. Most famous for singing the theme from the James Bond movie to Russia with Love. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm pretty sure it's not the same bloke though. No, no, you you kind of hope not. I'm sure there was another another song he had that was that was a hit of some sort. Well, I'd expect you to I'd expect you to know this sort of thing, being the music guru you are, mate. You walk away was well, yeah, it's probably a bit before my time, right. mate. Born free, okay. born free. Yeah. So there you go. Well, and now he's in charge of the ATA. There you go. <laughs> How people get around? <laughs> some qualified leadership at last. Indeed. Micah World first composite triple road train with a payload of almost 100 tonne has been launched by an Aussie composite materials business. Omni tankers, mate. Uh, look, mm. I love an Omni tanker. We've, uh, we, <laughs> we use them at, uh, <laughs> we use them at uh, UTH, carting, uh, carting chemicals, hydrochloric acid and all that sort of thing. Townsville... Are, are yours composite? Well, they are. They, they're, they're, uh, they're like a plastic tanker you know they 
Because hmm. there's, diff- there's different sorts of tanker construction. Quick tanker construction lesson for you guys, right? There's aluminium on. ones. Yes. Right? And they're used for fuel and things like that. Hmm. There's different grades of stainless steel ones for various acids and alkalis. There's hmm. fiberglass ones. There's, uh, there, there's some with rubber bladders inside them. There's the, these composite ones that uh, Omni make and put them on like, they're like they're like a barrel just on a on a skill trailer uh, sort of a mm. chassis, light as light as. Mm. Uh, where were we? So oh, let's get back to the story, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Sun. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, back at the story. Sun Metals has set ambitious decarbonisation targets across the organisation, with the goal of being the first in the world to produce green zinc. So mm. the stuff that they're carting goes in these tankers. The new triples are being help uh, being used to help reduce operational costs with their greater payload capacity meaning fewer trips the omni tanks using the triple road trains are required to contain baffles inside so the baffles are a, a, like a safety measure which help mitigate with a bit the sloshing and dangerous yep. goods transport tank is a very very it's a very very highly regulated area of I assume there'd be some some sort of weight saving advantage too well there is a weight saving advantage yeah because Fuel tankers are aluminium, but they've got to have the baffles and, and all that sort of thing inside them. And obviously, the more metal and more ribs and the more framework you, you use, the heavier everything gets. These aluminium uh, aluminium barrels for carting the fuel are probably the lightest ones around, but these thin, more fiberglass jobs, they're, just, they're incredibly light when you compare them to, to the big stainless tankers and, and, and metal tankers that you've got to use. Mate, the headline for the next story could read as missing tool causes 1,114 Daimler trucks to be recalled. <laughs> Who is this tool, Mike, and how long has he been missing? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it's like every village has an idiot. <laughs> oh, man. How would it be if you lost your tool? And they said, well, we've got to find this tool and it's got to be in one of these trucks. Yeah, bring them back quick. Oh, dear. <laughs> this tool that they're looking for is used to mechanically open spring-loaded the parking brake chambers and they're not being supplied with the vehicle, right? Uh, <laughs> missing tool is not a safety issue. <laughs> it depends on how much he's had to drink on Friday night, I suppose. Still a concern. Uh, and, not a, and it will not affect the performance of your vehicle, Daimler said. Oh, good. The customers have been contacted in writing by Daimler, advising them that the, the, they should go to their nearest Daimler truck dealership who will supply the missing spanner free of charge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's a missing, it's a missing tool. Yeah, if you're uh, short of tool, go and see your Daimler dealer. List of VIN numbers for those trucks impacted by the uh, recall can be found online. Uh, mm. Go to ring up if you've got a if you've got a Daimler truck manufactured between 2019 and 2020. Be aware that your tool could be missing. Okay, <laughs> so fighters and shoguns and all that sort of stuff. One thousand one hundred and fourteen missing tools. There you go. Mm. Bit of light-hearted news. Indeed. Well, a story that probably won't really get you going all that much, but an independent review of Sydney's toll road network is underway, which aims to establish ways traffic congestion can be alleviated with the goal to create a fairer road fee charging system for heavy vehicle operators. You got any thoughts on that? No, no, none, <laughs> none at all. I don't even know why we're talking about it. No, I'm going to try. No. I'm going to do my best to contain myself here. Andy, you know how difficult it's going to be. Yeah. But I've had time to cool down since I first read this story. That's a shame. <laughs> it is a shame, isn't it? <laughs> Alan Fells and David Cousins are leading an effort to examine ways to alleviate traffic congestion and create a fairer road fee system. Jesus wept. Can mm. you think of two blokes who would probably know less about it? Really? I mean, I don't think Alan's famous for his you know, road civil engineering or anything like that. Mm. And Look, tolls. He's not suggesting there's going to be a revolution in toll prices. Christ, why would there be? We've sold enough of that stuff off to the likes of Transurban. Mm. Uh, We're not going to get free travel on toll roads. 
unless you're Vince Colosimo, then you just rack it up and go to court about it and get it all wiped. You can do that. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So uh, there is scope to negotiate some win-win outcomes. Apparently, we can have a we can have a small win. We might get out of paying twenty cents or something. Uh, review is going to include a way of simplifying toll charges, looking at government relief measures, and introducing distance-based time-of-day charges. Um, we built these toll roads. We sold the rights to maintain them and fleece the public like they used to do in ancient Rome when they sold the right to tax a province to a private company and however much they could squeeze out of the punters in that province. They had to pay a certain amount to Caesar, but they got to keep the rest as profit. And these but bloody... what have the Romans ever done for us? But what have the Romans ever done for us, indeed? What have the Romans ever done for us? So hmm. this this business model is you know, alive and well today. You've got you know, you've got the likes of these uh, multinational companies uh, with you know, huge uh, shareholder bases in foreign countries who are fleecing the motorists of our uh, our great states on these magnificent toll roads that you can damn near set your watch by the traffic jams on. Every mm-hmm. day of the bloody week. I don't mm-hmm. know a tollway in Australia where you can't set your watch by the traffic jams and the prices don't change. And as I've said before, it's like going to the milk bar, ordering a milkshake, and the bloke makes it for you, lovely, it's all frothy on the top, puts a straw in, and before he hands it to you, you you've got to pay him for it, but he tips half of it down the sink and says, there you go, that's all you get for your money every time. We don't get any choice about using these tollways if we're in a truck. You can't go up mm. Pennadels Road without getting a fine. You've got to use North Connects. You come back down into the into the city, into Sydney. You've got to drive around the M7 in a truck. You've got no choice, right? And yeah. it costs a small fortune to drive around these things. Some companies have bills in the hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to be on these tollways. We pay road user charges. We pay road taxes. We pay the excise on the fuel pay the registration fees, pay, 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 pay your mm. stupid charges to go into botany, pay all these other things to go and pick a container up. The transport companies are paying through the nose. Yep. But we're going to have a small win, apparently. Chris mm. uh, Men's saying he's sticking by the $60 weekly toll cap to reduce toll costs for trucks. Does that mean that we're only going to pay $60 a week for tolls, Chris Men's? I'm going to have to ask you about that because... That's the way it reads to me. I don't believe that's the policy. Unless I'm misinformed, unless I've misunderstood something, which is entirely possible, mm. I'm thinking that uh, we're going to pay more than 60 bucks a week for tolls with trucks. Cost you damn near yep. that much to drive around the M7 once. Yep. You know, so uh, they're opening a hearing. They're going, to re- they're going to review some chairs. The review chairs discuss the network issue with a range of associations representing truck drivers and local councils painted a picture of severe community impact which is being caused by toll road pricing. The people in Western Sydney particularly are getting raped, basically. Every time they get on the motorway and head into town, they are getting just robbed. It's just mm. it's just legal it's just legal theft. Our governments have made this happen. They've sold the infrastructure, allowing these companies to just do whatever they like. Once upon a time, we had a sensible system. The governments build the roads, right? They were built to a standard, not to a price. Now now we subcontract and we outsource everything and things are built to a price, not a standard. And the condition mm. of our roads that we see today, the bloody potholes and crap all over the place, even up at the end of the corner of my... You damn near need a four-wheel drive to get out of my street. It's ridiculous. You need, a, mm. you need 32s and a four-inch lift, you know? It's ridiculous. Absolutely yep. ridiculous, and Mr. Fells is going to have a little inquiry and sort out a few bucks of the tolls. Thanks very much. I won't hold my breath. The old follow the money thing just about applies to everything now. It does. It? it absolutely does. And and to me, I, I mean, look, I would love it if they could work out something with the tolls, but they're not going to because it's not in anyone's interest to do it. Or am I yeah. just being too bloody cynical <laughs> as usual? Well, you have to keep asking me that. There's some scope to negotiate some win-win outcomes. Yes. Scope. Who's going to win? That's the question. Mm. It'll never be the motorist, and it certainly won't be road transport. 
National Road. Follow the money. Na- yeah. Now, Warren Clark chimed in on this, right? Hmm. And he spoke about the impact that the high cost of tolls is having on drivers choosing to not use the toll roads. Uh, I don't know. Jesus, Warren. Hmm. Fells also says that means testing drivers could be on the cards for government toll subsidies. So if we're going to means test something, I mean, like, will we do that like childcare? So if, you, if you're making 250000 bucks a year, you can still get childcare? Is that how you do it? How much money do you need to make before you uh, get a you, know, you don't get a break on tolls? It's bloody mm. ridiculous. It's all too complicated. Mm. It's all too complicated. The government should just resume all this stuff, work out a price, pay these guys off and say, piss off and we'll have our roads back and do things the way they used to be done before they screwed everything up. But that's just too easy, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to get off the bike now, mate. That was me being contained, by the way. Yeah. Good thing we didn't talk about it earlier, then. Good thing we didn't talk about it earlier. I should have talked mm. about the Fuso story after this, because you know where the tools are missing, don't you? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, maybe the tool, that's where the tools are, You're doing things like this bloody road. Anyway. Yeah, possibly. Before Mr. Mr. Fells does sue me, I believe he's got excellent legal experience. Maybe he might be able to make that work. Oh, good. I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Any breaking news? Breaking news? Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, we did talk about breaking news, and you know what? What? What's happening in New South Wales? There's been some changes to the law. If you come here, you know, you have to have residency requirements. If you're a foreign license holder to get a heavy vehicle license in now in New South Wales, you can't just fly in, get off the plane and get a license. Can't do it anymore. That's the breaking news. Mm. I think it's pretty good. Also, it, it, is, big, news, it yeah. is actually big news. It's a major change. It doesn't make us as easy to get a license here as it always was. New South Wales was always the easiest place to get a license. Mm. So they fixed that little loophole up. And uh, now if you've got a foreign license and you lose points over here, you'll lose your driving privileges as well, like any normal person would. Uh, So I suppose that's a good thing as well. But having said that, there are a lot of people out here that don't really care about licenses and fines and paying their fines and all that sort of stuff, and Vince's lawyer can help you out with that one. (laughs) Well, you know, you talk about New South Wales being the easiest place to get a license. Mm. When I got my motorcycle license 27,500 years ago, yeah, was in New South Wales. Right. And they took me out the back of the motor registry. Yep. And the chap said to me, he said, you see that witch's hat up there, the cone? I said, yep. He said, do you reckon you could ride up there and go around that really slowly without putting your foot down? I said, yeah, okay. And he said, all right, come on inside. Didn't have to do it. He just wanted to know if I thought I could, and I could, and I did. So there you go. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once upon a time, it was a little bit easier. Good old days. The good old days. Thought for the week for you, Mike. Oh, please. From the how times have changed files. Right. Once upon a time, no one believed or trusted the weather forecast. Fairly true. That's true. Yeah. Nowadays, when you watch the news, the weather forecast is about the only thing you can trust. (laughs) That's absolutely 100% correct. I defy anyone to argue with me on that one. Uh, No, I'm not going to even try. You win. Well, that's been a joy, mate, as always. As always. Thank you so much, and goodbye for now. (laughs) Uru. can be tough and these last few years have shown that sometimes a little extra help can go a long way. Health in Gear is brought to you by the OzHelp Foundation and we're here to support the drivers and workers in the transport and logistics industry, bringing you roadside health checks and free support and counselling for workers and their families through the 24-7 phone line 1-800-IN-GEAR. Remember, you don't have to face the road ahead alone. Health in Gear are here for the long haul, supporting your mental health and preventing suicide across Australia. Check out healthingear.com.au. Aussie homegrown music series this week, I've got something a little different for you. 
The interview we had planned for this episode was going swimmingly until, well, you know, life happened and we had to hit the pause button halfway through. So we'll be coming back together shortly to finish the great chat we were having and we'll be bringing it to you in the next week or two. So for this week, I dug back into the archives of a previous podcast series I ran a few years ago and unearthed this gem of a chat I had with an Aussie music legend who's been sharing his amazing storytelling and music with us over many years. Now 77 years of age and still inspiring and encouraging Australians with his unique and award-winning gifts, here's the chat we had along with the iconic song every Australian has sung along with at one time or another. Our guest this week grew up on the western Darling Downs area of southern Queensland, living in a small three-roomed ant-bed-floored hut and mixing with stockmen, drovers, fencers, ringbarkers and timber getters. His family lived largely off the land growing vegetables and hunting and catching everything from kangaroos to fish. After finishing school, he returned to his rural roots working as a backcountry labourer, doing everything from bag lumping, cane cutting to wool pressing. At 33, he got the opportunity to go to university, where he studied history, geography and music, eventually progressing to work on his PhD. It was during this time at university that his music career began. They accepted me in there on probation, he says, and it was a bit of a funny one really because I could hardly read or write. I had no mastery of the written language, but I was lucky. I had good lecturers and they let me bring the guitar in for the first six months as a means of implementing oral history and my background and what I wanted to say into the tutorial. And it worked really bloody well. Music had always been around him. As a child, he listened to old records on the family's wind-up 78 gramophone, and he absorbed everything from country music to classical from an old valve wireless, and the influences upon him were powerful and profound. He still talks about the stories and songs he was told and taught by his first-generation Irish grandmother, Maury grandparents, his Irish father and Maury mother, and the rest of his Murray family. A travelling singer-songwriter, based in southern Queensland but with an itinerary which found him touring the world, he's played in Australian jails, worked with marginalised children, encouraging the kids to come up with artistic ideas, find their spirit and most importantly their self-esteem. He's played Aboriginal music festivals, university campuses and regular concert venues. He's the recipient of a list of awards longer than your arm, He's been inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame, was a Senior Australian of the Year State finalist, received the Jimmy Little Lifetime Achievement Award in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Music at the Deadly Awards. Along with longtime friend and Aussie music legend Paul Kelly, he co-wrote the song you're listening to right now. From Little Things, Big Things Grow. Who else could it be but the inspirational Kevin Carmody? Kevin Carmody, top of the morning to you. Thanks for having us, Andy. It's fantastic that after all this time we can actually catch up with each other. Absolutely. Mate, just to kick it off, in 1987, the release of your first album, Pillars of Society, featured that outstanding song, Thou Shalt Not Steal. Is it all right if we just play a little bit of that song right now? Yeah, no trouble. It caused a fair bit of a ruckus when it first came out. Yeah. 1788 down Sydney Cove. First boat people land and they say, Sorry boys, I gained your last swear. Gonna steal your land. If you break down your British wall, sure, you're gonna hang. Work your life like our company with a chain on your neck and hands. And they taught us, Whoa, black woman, I shall not steal. Hey, black man, I shall not steal. By the time of that first release, you were already 41 years of age, if you don't mind me saying so. <laughs> a lot of musicians are pretty much retiring out of the business by that age. Was that timing by choice or was it just the way things worked out for you? Well, it, it, it was more or less by choice because I've been writing songs since 1967. Yeah. And that's about 20 years before. And I knew, I knew that it wasn't commercial pop stuff and I knew it would be hard to get any sort of a listening. But the family said, look, you know, you've got these songs and that, we'll put the dough together and uh, go down and record it. Yeah. 
we were so lucky though that we had uh, Triple J was certainly on board then as far as the Indigenous stuff went. Yeah. And of course we had the rise of the community radio station. Mm. It gave us a voice into the, the baseline of the people, which was a hell of a big help to us. You know, we had, you know, Aboriginal or Indigenous Flamin programs starting to start up everywhere. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll give it a go because, you know, I, I just knew the stuff I was doing wasn't commercial. Yeah. And you said that that first album was acoustic as you couldn't afford all the expensive gear at the time. <laughs> Despite that, the Pillars Society album received a nomination for an ARIA award was described by Bruce Elder in Rolling Stone magazine as the best album ever released by an Aboriginal musician and arguably the best protest album ever made in Australia. That's a really great rap for a recording made on a shoestring budget. What are the memories you have of putting the album together all those years ago, Kev? Well, it was. That, that, the, the key word to that, Andy, is put together because, I mean, it was done on an eight-track recorder yeah. and they were actually bolting the studio together, like the 24-track, okay. while I was in there. Right. And yeah, you know, but but I was I was so lucky. You know, I had great bass player, had a female vocal, Heine Pipiani King. He was just amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, there was, there was tracks like the Comrade Jesus Christ, where I, I just stood in front of the microphone and read the lyrics of the poem. Yeah. No, no music. Right. Just just read it. Yeah. 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 We spoke before of your long friendship with Paul Kelly. Yeah. Paul was quoted as saying of you. I first heard his music about 20 years ago and was drawn straight to his blend of politics and prayer, poetry, anger and pride. His body of work is one of our great cultural treasures. Now that's really high praise indeed from one of Australia's most respected and prolific songwriters and performers. You are a very humble man. How do you react to hearing such glowing accolades about yourself? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I just sort of said the basis of it, I suppose, Andy, is this, uh, the concept of getting up on stage and being separate. It's like a, a priest on a podium in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think everybody's got something to say. Everybody has something to contribute. Yeah. No matter what echelon in life they come from, yep. it's the community as a whole that we should be reflecting and not one person like the Hitlers of the world. Yeah, so true. And Kev, it's not so widely known, but you, like so many of us that are into this age group, You've battled with severe arthritis for a number of years and you've said that travel can be a bit of an issue for you nowadays. Just how much is the arthritis affecting you as a musician and how do you go about managing the pain and discomfort of the condition? Oh, well, Andy, yeah. <laughs> you know, saying before, you, you too know what it's like. Absolutely. You know, but, but back in our day, you know, in the late 60s and 70s, there's no such thing as workplace health and safety. Yeah. And I mean, you just lump the wheat bag, you know, you're talking 70, 80 kilograms. You know, cut the cane, you blame and press the wall, you know, you did the stick picking, you did all that bending work. Yeah. Nowadays, you won't find a bag of anything above 20 kilograms. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 You know, I got to the point where the, the bone was, they reckon if it collapsed, you'd be paralyzed. So yeah. They wound up putting, putting what the grandkids termed the Eiffel Tower up his back, <laughs> each side, roughly 23 centimeters or 25 centimeters lumps of steel with 70 mil screws in it. Goodness. But, yeah, you just put up with it. And what I try to do is limit the amount of pain to me, bloody drugs they put in. Yeah. I'm trying to stay down on the lowest mm. and just stop bloody. You know, people always ask me, how are you going? How are you going? And you think, like, God, I'm a bloody hypochondriac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at least I can walk. And, you know, it's uh, sitting, sitting for long periods is a bit of a pain. If, you know, they want you to go on a plane and that. I mean, there's plenty of um, places that want you to still perform and that. Yeah. It's just getting it to the damn thing. I feel as if I'm not being a, a nice person because I just got to say, look, I can't bloody do it, you know? Yeah. And the right arm's a bit dead. Yeah. For your fingers and stuff. And anyway, we'll keep going. And the other thing is this concept of work. Mm. Performing music is work. I'm like, God, it's true. Yeah. That's not work. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so right, Kev. You know, the thing of, I know it's an old cliche, I guess, to some degree, but as they say, when you do something you love doing, you never have to work another day in your life, and it's so true. Yep, that's right. I was just thinking, you're talking about planes and flying and stuff. It, it must be a, quite a fun situation trying to get through the x-rays and the metal detectors at the airport with the Eiffel Tower. It's made out of non-ferrous metal. Yeah. So I don't know what the hell that means. I mean, I, I spent bloody years in the welding shed. <laughs> and I, I never ran, of course, non-ferrous metal in my time, but yeah. it, uh, it must be sort of an alloy-type thing that doesn't show up on the bloody x-ray. Yeah, well, hopefully it won't rust, too. Yeah, well, our society these days, Andy, is so into you know, security that we're becoming more insecure with the security, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> Talking about your guitar playing there, 
as a guitar player myself, I've, I've noticed in a lot of your videos and sewing that you're playing a beautiful old guild guitar. I've got a real soft spot for guilds and owned a couple myself, but is it just the one favourite guitar? Yeah, it's the only one I've got. Wow. It's the only one. A friend of mine um, in Brizzy that runs a guitar repair got me a, a Dobra. Right. 1932 Dobra. I just love that concept of slide, Andy, because I just love that sound of the slide. Yeah. Jim Magini from the Oils left me one of these, I don't know what the hell you call it. He said, oh, you can have it. Just just, just hang on. I know where it is. Yeah. It was a resonator or electric guitar that uh, used to be used in uh, the Quill Sea. Yeah, yeah. They used to use it, and it's an, an electric sort of Dobro sort of a thing, and it's got a, got a funny, unique sound. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just love exploring sound. It's as simple as that. Yeah, well, I noticed it's not necessarily always specific instruments. You'll go and find a sound however you can to create it to get the sound you actually want. Paul Kelly was always saying to me, look, all those songs you've got in those boxes, they should do some. So I put out a four-album set. Yeah. And what we did was recorded it in a um, big old fruit pack and shed. Yeah. You know, we just did all these samples by hitting on you know, drums and foam and anything we could get our hands on. Yeah. To get an authentic, organic sound, we made our own bass guitar. I made it out of a lump of foam and hardwood with a, a string, and we just put an electric guitar pick up under the string and yeah. played it with a slide and a drumstick, and it was an amazing <laughs> sound. I love it. So you, you couldn't take it on tour because you couldn't get it through the bloody airport security. Three meters of foam and wood with a, you know, the stuff that you uh, hang your picture frames off, yeah. cables, yeah, yeah. wire, strung, strung across it and whacked a lump of steel, a bit of old angle iron we found in the shed in underneath it for a bridge. Perfect. Yeah, oh, God, amazing sound with it and played it with a brass slide and a drumstick. <laughs> Would have been a bit hard travelling too to get it into the overhead locker, eh? Yeah, that's it, that's it. You wouldn't get it. But no, we, we had hundreds and hundreds of our own samples, you know, trucks on the road and stuff like that. Yeah. Kev, when you accepted your induction into the ARIA Hall of Fame, and congratulations on that, that's great, you referred to yourself as just a conduit of stories. Over many years, you've certainly proven the truth in that statement. Your storytelling in song lyrics is just awe-inspiring. It certainly inspired me. Do you plan to keep on writing? What does the future hold for Kevin Carmody? Oh, the future? Geez, I don't know. <laughs> Pretty old and crippled up now. <laughs> you know, it, it, I really admire what Paul does. He just keeps going. That man can just write. He just keeps writing songs. Yeah. From my point of view, there's always more to say. In. Yeah. When we look at the broad perspective of, of, of human uh, politics, economics, uh, you know, humanity, we're finding some tight spots, but we, we're getting worse in some flaming uh, areas, you know? Yeah. And basically, you know, from my point of view, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a solo acoustic player. That's all I ever had because, you know, you couldn't afford a band or nothing. Yeah. Except when I record, you know, people used to just turn up. I mean, like mixed relations and that, they just turn up at the studio and start playing. Yeah. And the other thing is, look, I've, I've never been a person who liked the limelight. You know, this business of getting up on stage and concept of ego and celebrity, bit of a facade as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. If you could do it all again, would you do anything differently? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd become a tradie. Really? Yeah, I've often thought that myself. Well, I, I tried and tried for, for years to get an apprenticeship in the 1970s, but they, they wouldn't have me because, you know, the, the old black fella doing anything like a, a, a border market. Yeah. Well, look, can I say on behalf of music lovers everywhere, I'm really glad you didn't do that. <laughs> well, folks, our guest this morning has been the amazing Uncle Kev Carmody. <laughs> Kev, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having us, Andy. Keep going. Make sure you go safe. I will. You too, buddy. Bye. Here he is, along with his old mate, it's Kev Carmody and Paul Kelly with From Little Things, Big Things Grow. Gather round people, I'll tell you a story, an eight-year-long story, a power and pride, British Lord Bestie, Vincent Lingari, Opposite men on opposite sides. Vestie was fat, honey and muscle. Beef was his business, broad was his door. Vincent was lean, spoke very little. He had no bank balance, hard dirt was his floor. From little things. Big things grow from little 
Something much more. Our power and privilege. Talk move people. You know where they stand. They stand in their law. From new things, big things grow. From new things, big things grow. From new things, big things grow. Things, big things grow, grow from little things. 
spirit walks with you. Have you ever come up behind a caravan wearing a big green sticker that says, I'm truck friendly? It's simply telling you that the driver you're following is a part of a growing safety-minded community of caravanners who actually want to help other road users, have a good understanding of safe towing practices, and have a UHF radio switched on and ready to communicate. If you too want to be a part of the solution and not the problem, find out more about the great truck-friendly caravan road safety program by visiting their Facebook page or website at www.truckfriendly.com.au. Wednesday night live session on on the road radio uh, got pretty lively this week and uh, if you haven't heard it if you weren't listening uh, you can access a replay on the uh, on the podcast app worth a listen um, sadly uh, the fellow who chooses not to travel by his real name which is a bit of a blight I think on his uh, reputation had some good things to say to start with and then um, it got a bit long-winded and a bit unfortunate there's some nastiness and name calling set in so the less said about that the better fellow from the TWU he handled things pretty well I thought although pretty non-committal on some points and I suppose you could only expect that from the executive assistant rather than the executive in, in person Anyway, thank goodness our old mate Sleepy came good in the end and lightened the show up. And Barry, save all your kisses for Leslie, mate. I'll be happy with a hug when we catch up at Alice Springs. Anyway, we'll get on to the business of the day. The latest Friday facts email from the ATA had a bit to say and I'd like to share it with you. They said the Fair Work Commission should set minimum standards for the road transport supply chain but not fixed BT, B2B rates, which is business to business. At least they consider owner drivers as a business as well as themselves, I suppose, which is good. Quoting again, the ATA's committee reached this unified position on Thursday ahead of discussions with the government about its planned legislation. I'll have a little bit more to say about that a bit later. ATA CEO Matthew Munro said the original Road Safety Remuneration Act had attempted to impose minimum rates on all owner drivers. I, uh, I'd be quite happy if they stopped referring to the events of 2012 up to 2016. We need to move on and stop raking over the coals, but that's my personal opinion. Anyway, to quote again, the new legislation should not repeat this approach, which was impossible to understand and establish two-tier pricing across the industry, Matthew said. Instead, minimum standards orders made by the Fair Work Commission should apply to all parties in the supply chain. Provided there are not mandatory minimum business-to-business rates and the road transport sector is outside the employee-like work reforms. Minimum standards could include cost schedules or other requirements that do not involve rates. The committee agreed to press for a two-stage process for making road freight transport orders with the equivalent of a notice of proposed rulemaking issued 24 months before an order comes to the force. That's uh, the end of the quote. Um, I think this uh, 24 months idea is a little bit outlandish, probably more like 24 weeks should work, um, although they're probably talking about having endless discussions like they do about everything else. I'm getting on a bit and uh, I'd hate to see, uh, see my life come to an end before we see some um, improvements. Anyway, this statement from the ATA indicates to me that they at least have been listening a little bit because uh, our comments and opinions out here in the real world sometimes don't seem to uh, count for much. But um, they obviously have been listening when we start talking, when we've been talking about costs and not rates. I'm not sure if they're embracing the uh, top down approach that uh, I proposed that uh, a couple of people seem to like anyway. It's not only the ATA, none of the other parties involved have uh, embraced it either. So uh, whether they're uh, thinking about it or not, I'll, uh, I'll be pleased to hear. Anyway, what you have to remember about representative organisations such as the ATA, and of course it's member people, member bodies, and trade unions and any other representative organisation, is that their first responsibility is to represent the interests of their members. Now, history is telling us that when it comes to the Interstate Drivers Award, the large end of town have done a much better job of representing their members' interests than the TWU. There's been numerous interstate committees uh, that have happened within the TWU. And to what end? 
just goes to show my opinion about committees might be a bit more accurate than some people would like to uh, agree. And anyway, as I've often suggested, without supportive affirmative action from the rank and file, from those of us just out here doing our jobs, whether it's support with uh, opinions or, or uh, letters to the editor or phone calls to the people involved or to, to our local members, however you want to go, whether it's just putting a sign on the back of our tanker or our van or our tort liner or even a, a, a canvas sign on the back of our back rack of our flat top. Without support for what is in our best interests, just having incessant and long and continuous talks just go nowhere in the end. The ATA just at the moment seems to be a little bit more believable uh, than it has been in recent times with David Smith at the helm. His uh, hands-on experience and his obvious business acumen, he runs a beautiful business down in Port Lincoln, signed through to me. Uh, I support a bipartisan and whole-of-industry approach to making things better for us all. Even though I think the TWU is overstating things to say we have a crisis, honestly, I think the TWU has the crisis, not the industry, because the political aspirants in the TWU seem to have more sway than the people who really understand the job we do, and they seem to be thin on the ground. The union can fix it by ditching old habits and listening to some good ideas, regardless of where they come from. And, uh, you know, I'd like to know that the ideas that we express on on the road radio and on the road podcast and that will be expressed in truck and light would make positive contributions to that approach. The other thing that's uh, got me a little bit uh, concerned, I suppose, not, not happy, the current federal government obviously have some ideas and proposals well and truly in the planning stages and the ATA and all the other organisations, including NRFA, seem to be part of it. And I just think it'd be nice if there was some form of transparency from all concerned, instead of this secret squirrel business that they seem to be going on with. The ATA is sort of uh, helping in that respect by uh, coming out with their statement as they did on Friday. But anyway, a bit more of that would be more than welcome because I'm convinced that my top-down approach suggestion is worth looking at. And dealing with costs, registering and, and, and stating costs so people can make informed decisions, uh, as I dealt with in my last podcast, I think is, is obviously, uh, even in the ATA's view, and their one side of the argument, uh, has some merit. So let's hope. But anyway, the other thing I uh, had a bit to say recently about uh, what drivers should be paid according to the size of the vehicle they drive. I think what I proposed was reasonable, but I think maybe the uh, <laughs> maybe the price that you know the rates I suggested were a little bit a uh, little bit ambitious. But at the moment, the three cents graduation between you know a flat top and a B double and a B double and a road chain, whatever happens from there, uh, that's a joke. Three cents, what a joke! You know, like not even fifty dollars from Sydney to Melbourne or or Brisbane to Sydney. And I reckon just that part of the award alone is evidence to me that the TWU has really been asleep at the wheel. And while my suggested rates might be a little bit ambitious, surely if we could start out with 10 or 20 cents gap per rung up the ladder and then going up to 30 cents and then graduating up to 50, which is where it would be fair per kilometre, 50 cents per kilometre extra for each rung of the ladder, I think that'd be reasonable and more than fair. And the thing about fair is, I only like what's fair. Respect, reasonable behaviour and transparency are more than fair in my book. Name-calling, abuse and nastiness are not. And by the way, pen names don't cut it in my book either. Thank you for listening. Is out of the show this week. Here's Aussie music sensation Ben Ransom with his brand new single, Partner in Crime.
The flames of our passion still burning inside The heat of each moment makes me feel so alive brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Mm-hmm.